Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. In, in kind of putting this together and, and thinking about this subject and, and what we're going to talk about and what I want you to do um, basic, based on what we talk about today, you know, as a pastor, uh, I realize that everybody kind of sees me a little bit differently, but when you come to church on Sundays, you know that the pastor's always going to try and get you to do more church stuff, right? I guess just what the pastor's supposed to do. Supposed to get you to do more church stuff. And, and why? Why am I always pushing people? And, and I don't push too hard. I'm just not that good at pushing people. But why am I always doing that and, and recommending that and suggesting that and telling you that and all that kind of good stuff? And the reason why is because there are steps to following Jesus. If you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to walk with Jesus, it means that you have to take steps. You can't just come to a certain point in following Jesus and then stop following or else you have then stopped following and you are no, you are no longer a follower, right? And so to be a follower, to continue to be a follower, you have to continue to take steps. And, and we as a church are called to create something um, that this world doesn't have, which is this kind of Jesus family, this Jesus community. Is there something going on in the sound system? Is there a rumble? There's some kind of rumble going on. Sorry, Melvin. It's, I didn't know if it was me or not. Um, but we're, we're, as a church family, we're created and, and we're called to create something that this world doesn't have. And it's just kind of this diverse family that's just stuck together with each other and loves on each other and cares for each other and and this is what we do at City Grace. If, if you're not really part uh, of small groups, again, like I mentioned earlier, you're not really, really part of the City Grace family yet. I'm not pushing you away by that statement. What I'm telling you is, like, you have something to offer. Your life has something to offer to this Jesus community, to this Jesus family. And you need to be a part of a small group so that you can kind of contribute to that. And, and, and being part of small groups and being in community with each other, it helps us take our eyes off of kind of what I call private spirituality. And a lot of the focus in the Christian world today is on private and personal spirituality. And, and really what my goal is, what my hope is with our church family is to begin helping us look at, at, at the reason why we might practice our private and personal spirituality. Because private and personal spirituality isn't the end unto itself. Rather, it's the means to the end that God has called us to. So I'm not saying that your private spiritual disciplines, your private prayer life, those kinds of things aren't important. They very much are because they help you do what God has called you to do and be what God has called you to be. But it's not really natural for us, is it, to kind of you know, care more about the we than the me. We generally tend to care more about me than we. It's just a lot easier to do that, right? And, and this is all, again, it's, it's all part of our transformation as Jesus followers. And this is just, this isn't even a church thing or a Jesus thing, you know, that we kind of care more about me than we, like this is a life thing. Anybody ever take a group photo, take a picture in a group with a bunch of people? When you look at that picture, what's the first thing you care about when you look at that picture? Huh? Say it again. Somebody said, Me. What you look like. Come on, somebody, tell the truth. When you look at that group photo, the thing you are looking for is your face. To see if you have a derpy face or a normal face or a good face or a smiley face. Like, you want to know what you look like. I was a, a wedding photographer for a lot of years, and I, I, I fed my family based on this principle. Because I knew that people were really going to care about what they looked like, and when they cared what they looked like, they'd spend a bunch of money buying pictures, see? See? 
So guess who was the most important person in those wedding photos? Who? Say it louder. No, it wasn't the bride because the bride was broke. It was the mother of the bride. That's who you really care about. I'm telling, I'm telling you, man, I, I fed my family based off that thing right there. But we're, we're just, we are, we're consumed with ourselves. We're consumed with how we look and what we feel and what we think, and, and it's just all around it. We're, we're encouraged to care about ourselves more than others. There are health, health clubs and, and life coaches and private tutors and personal trainers and therapists, right? And it's just, it's common knowledge that you need to exercise three times a week for your health, Eat right for your body. Journal your thoughts. Get counseling for your past. Set goals for your future, right? And all of these things are, are, are focused on the individual and the person. And you, 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 be the best version of you. Live your best life now. YOLO, right? Come on, somebody. YOLO. What's YOLO stand for? It's those old candies. Anybody remember the old chocolate candies? But, you know, in spite of all of this and all of this emphasis and everything going on in America, it's amazing to me that study after study show, research, I mean, just on top of research, shows that Americans are more lonely today than ever at any point in our history, more insecure, more depressed, have more anxiety today than ever. And then we as Christians, you know, we're Christian Americans, right? And, and we read the Bible and it says for us to die to ourselves. And we think, we think, well, the way that I die to myself is I need to subject my thoughts to Christ, right? I need to get the Holy Spirit to show fruit in my life. I need to share my faith, renew my mind, forgive those who do me wrong, remember where God found me, visualize what God has promised me. And what's all the focus on? Me. And I've realized something at the tender young age of 43, that it is really hard to die to myself when I mostly focus on myself. Focus on myself. And we, we Christians, like, we struggle with this, like this, this kind of self-imposed guilt. And, and we come up with these self-imposed goals of making ourselves better, working harder on ourselves and, and having harder discipline for ourselves. And we pray about ourselves more. And we find devotionals that focus on our shortcomings and look for scripture that speak to our circumstances and read spiritual books that promise to feed our souls, right? And in all of our work to fix ourselves, we can lose our selves and ourselves and our peace. And if we're not careful, we'll become burnt out Christians. We'll become tired Christians and frustrated Christians and angry Christians. And there's a reason why you and why I and why our individual worlds, they just, you know, they keep tumbling into chaos over and over again. And the reason why our world and why your world keeps tumbling into chaos is very simply this. There's not enough gravity in yourself to keep your world in orbit. You're just not big enough of a goal. Now, that's hard to swallow, isn't it? Because you thought you were special. Come on, somebody. I'm about to dig deep right here. I'm about to offend somebody. Anybody ready to be offended? Can I hear an amen? Y'all are weird. Like, I don't want to be offended. You're just not big enough. You're not enough on your own. You're not enough reason on your own. And this isn't even, again, a church thing or a spiritual thing or a Jesus thing. There's this guy called Maslow, a psychiatrist, psychologist from back in the day who came up with this, you know, all these needs of the human soul and, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Anybody ever heard of that before? We talk about it in Growth Track. And the ultimate need that he finally came up with was transcendence, the need that we all have to feel like we were a part of something that was much, much bigger than ourselves, because it turns out 
that we're just not big enough to give ourselves meaning. We need to belong to something else. And, and when we focus on ourselves, we struggle on our own. And when we're struggling and in pain and we thought we'd be farther by now, we thought we'd be different not by now, we thought we'd be past that thing that keeps getting us by now. But uh, you know, I, I bet you know what I'm talking about. You've been disciplining yourself and working on yourself. And a lot of times it just doesn't seem to work or it doesn't seem to work well. Or most of the time it just doesn't seem to work for very, very long. And then you can be in a trial or in a pain or in a struggle, and something kind of interesting happens sometimes, and you've probably experienced this before, and it kind of takes us by surprise that in the middle of a pain, in the middle of a trial or a rough time in life, you can hear of somebody else having their own troubles, and maybe their troubles are even greater than yours. Maybe their troubles are present, or maybe their troubles are even past, and for a few moments, we can actually be thankful for whatever trouble we're in. Because we can finally see in somebody else's story, like when we get our eyes off of our self and start looking and listening to somebody else, we can see that maybe there is purpose for what I'm going through. Maybe there is reason for what I'm going through. Or maybe you just hear their story and their story is so much worse than yours, you're like, well, thank God I'm not him. Thank God anybody ever, no, don't raise your hand. But just like sometimes it does, it just happens like that. And listening to somebody else's story can actually like do CPR on our hope. It can revive and resuscitate some of the things that we had started to lose on our own. And we can begin to hope again just by hearing somebody else's story. What is that? What is that? What's going on? Nothing about our circumstance has changed. The mountain is still in front of us. The night is still dark. The relationship still seems unredeemable. We don't have any more money. We're still struggling with that thing, still struggling with that mindset. But out of someone else's story, just their words, out of someone else's story comes comfort or peace or encouragement. And suddenly we're energized for another try, energized for another day, energized to try, try prayer, to try praying. Again, what is that, and, and why is that? Why does someone else's misery make my misery easier? How does someone else's pain make my pain more manageable? And I, I don't know that I can really explain all that's going on, and today, honestly, isn't even about the how, and we're going to talk about that later, but we cannot deny, we cannot deny, all of us have probably experienced this as a truth in life, an axiomatic truth in, truth in life, that life can feel lighter when we are with someone. Life can just feel lighter when you're with someone. Life can find direction if you'll just walk with someone. And, and so, you know, okay, Jared, maybe the point then is that I need to not be so inward focused and spend more time with other believers. And yes, that is the point. And yes, that is what I'm going for, like total transparency today. Before you leave, I want you signed up for like at least one small group. I mean, you know, probably everybody's going to be at the Holy Smokes one now just because it just sounds so cool, right? Yeah, I mean, cool names mean a lot, but, but that's, you know, you, you've probably tried that before. And again, maybe it lasted a little while and, and, you know, here you are again. And if you've been coming to church for a while, you've certainly heard some version of this message before. What I am saying today is nothing new, but what I want to do today is give you two new reasons maybe why we might end up frustrated or why we might end up giving up staying plugged in to other people. And, and I want to talk to you about that, and then I want you to make a new commitment, and then I'll let you go home and eat lunch. Does that sound good? All right, everybody's on board. I can remember, coming up with this first reason here, I can remember when I was about 12 years old, and I've shared this story before, um, when my mom was cleaning my room at 12 years old, and 
uh, because my mom's a clean freak, um, was cleaning behind my dresser and found behind my dresser a mixtape of hardcore gangster rap that my friend Chris had given to me. Now, if you're here and you're a kid, like my daughter doesn't even know what a mixtape is. Like, <laughs> mixtape, what is, what is mixtape? She didn't, those two words don't even go together, mixtape, right? But back in the day, we had cassette tapes, right? Anybody remember cassette tapes? Yeah. Anybody remember bouncing down the street with the boom box? I was never cool enough to do that. I just never was. Anybody remember eight tracks? Y'all are dating yourselves. Who remembers record players before all the hipsters bought them at the pawn shops? You guys remember record players? I don't. They were old. That was before me. But in my day, it was cassette tapes. Cassette tapes. And you could put that into your cassette tape player that was attached to your stereo and, or your radio and play the radio. And then when your song was about to come on the radio, you'd have to hit record and play at the same time, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then you could actually record songs off of the radio, right? That was the first pirating that ever existed, you know, before what they got going on now. And you used to record your songs, and then you'd have all these songs on your mixtape. Well, my friend Chris made me a mixtape of a lot of gangster rappers that I won't even dignify by mentioning their names here today. They were from Southern California in the city of wherever, and that's just, you know, I had this tape, and my mom found this tape behind my dresser, and she didn't know what it was, so my beautiful Christian pastor's wife mother put that tape into the tape player and hit play, and my mom was introduced to the world of <laughs> hardcore gangster rap. And uh, probably pulled a muscle in her back trying to dive at the tape player and shut it off after she found it. And so my dad got home and I got home from school and I'm whistling and happy thinking everything's great. My mom's crying, which is weird, but moms cry sometimes. So, you know, I don't know what's going on. And then later on, my dad calls me in the garage. That's never good. Like, you know, I don't know why I'm being called in the garage. And dad holds up the tape and I freeze. And dad said, what is this? And I'm like, I think you know what it is, because I wouldn't be in the garage if you didn't know what it was. And uh, where did you get this? And I'm thinking of my friend Chris. And so in that moment, because I was a good friend, I did what any young man of good, friendly character would do. I said, that tape is Chris's. Chris gave me that tape. And Chris made me listen to it, and I didn't even want to. And Chris told me it was cool, and I didn't want to, but I'm trying to win Chris to the Lord, so I thought I'd just share his music and hopefully be able to lead him out of darkness into the marvelous light. And Dad handed me a hammer and told me I had to smash the tape. And I said, but it's Chris's tape. He said, I don't care. Go smash it. So I had to go and smash the tape. Then I had to go over to Chris's house later and tell Chris my mom found the tape. And I had to smash it. And Chris's first question was, well, you didn't tell them that the tape was mine, right? And I've found that it is best during those times to just stay really quiet. Um, so, you know, I stayed quiet. But do you know what that did to my friendship with Chris? You know what that did? Nothing. Chris and I are still good friends. You know how many times after that Chris spent the night at my house? Tons. Tons more times after that, Chris came over and looked my parents in the eye. I don't know how he could. He was brazen. He's still just, you know. But 
He came over and he spent the night in my house. You know why? Our friendship wasn't affected by that. Do you know how many hardcore gangster rap tapes Chris gave me after that? One. One other one. And I uh, came home from school one day and f- thought that my mom had found that one too. And so I just took it in the garage and started smashing it on my own. And then my parents came home and said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm smashing the tape that you didn't know about. <laughs> and I told on myself, but that one, don't worry, Chris. I told him it was his too. I did. Uh, he did it again. He's the devil. Um, but he still came over my house. And there was something about that friendship and that relationship and, and elementary friendships and kid friendships and, and even brother-sister friendships. Really, I mean, most of the time, they're just like, they're unshakable, right? They're so loyal and so tied together and they're so low maintenance and, and forgiving and you have fights and disagreements. Yes, you know, but I mean, things are just simpler. You're friends and you're mad at each other, but you're still friends, You're still together, right? You know that you're still going to have sleepovers and play baseball in the street and ride to Stan's Exxon and buy Garbage Pail Kids and drink Jolt Cola when it first came out. Like, all of those things. Chris and I did all of those things. And we didn't care, you know, all the kids in our neighborhood. We grew up in a fantastic neighborhood. Jason could tell you this. There were so many kids that grew up in our neighborhood. Man, we didn't care what clothes the other kids wore. We didn't care what brand of shoes they wore, who brushed their teeth and who didn't, and there was a lot of people that didn't. Like We didn't care about bike brands. We didn't care about who was weird or who was smelly, right? We were free to be ourselves because there was no fear of ourself being rejected when we were kids, in our neighborhood at least. It's not that we didn't notice when one of the other kids was smelly. We just gave him a nickname and made him play outfielder, like, you know, but... He still got to play in the game. It's not that we didn't notice when another kid was poor. It's just that it was always Jason and me that were poor. So we just went over the other kid's house and ate their free snacks. Like it was the greatest thing ever. But, but then what happens? We grow up. And as we grow up, and maybe around the time of junior high, like all of a sudden we start worrying about deodorant. Some of us do. Some of us do. We start worrying about acne. We start worrying about fashion all of a sudden, Right? Girls by this time still have cooties, but suddenly we find that we're very open to contracting their disease. Can I hear an amen from somebody, right? And, and probably by now we've experienced some kind of rejection. We have been excluded. We noticed when we weren't invited. We found ourselves not in the cool group. And, and, and kids change groups all of a sudden, and we find ourselves belonging to groups that maybe we didn't even mean to belong to. And all of a sudden, the kid that didn't brush his, his teeth last year is cool, and you're not cool anymore. Like, what happened? Where'd that come from? And then you move into late teens and, and adulthood, and things kind of get serious, and the person that we're dating decides that they're not going to be exclusive anymore, and you thought you'd be forever, but they, you know, that ends in a goodbye. Or maybe it was a, a friendship where trust was broken. A, she, a secret that was shared with one gets shared with an everyone. You find yourself developing different values and maybe competing for the same job or the same promotion or the same position on a team or, or you know, maybe it was something even more permanent that, than that. Maybe even something a little older than that. And, you know, you bought furniture together, or an apartment together, or had children together. And suddenly you're looking back at whole seasons of life that are broken and, and, and just seem like wasted years because at some point along the line, we were rejected. We were pushed out, and it hurts, and it wounds us, and it does damage to self-worth and self-esteem, and, and we start to wonder if being together with someone really is better, right? Because we remember the pain, and we don't want to go through that again, and there's that sick feeling again. We don't ever want to cry like that again. We don't ever want to have heartache 
like that again. And what happens is that we think we need to protect ourselves from being hurt again, but the real danger is that we will become untouchable. It's so hard that nobody can get close again. And we'll build walls so thick and so tall that nobody can ever break through and get to our heart again. And now we find ourselves after these pains and after these tragedies in life, just back to the beginning where we forget about everyone else and we're going to focus on myself. Besides, if it's just me, I get to call the shots. Hello. If it's just me, I always go to my favorite restaurant. If it's just me, right? I don't have to meet somebody else's unrealistic expectations, and there's no 20-minute conversation asking, I don't care. Where do you want to go? I don't care. Where do you want to go, right? And it's just this strain of selfishness in all of us, and, and past hurts can kind of strengthen our natural tendency towards selfishness. In our past, in our hurt, can actually end up justifying our selfishness. I, I tried that once. I've been there. I got burned and never ever again. And I can't say that I'm not open, but I did give it a try, and I don't know if I'm going to give it a try again. And as Christians and in the church world, listen, this is not just a life thing. This is a church thing. This is a community thing. There's a cousin idea that can kind of creep into our thinking as Christians that the true mark of spirituality is when we only need Jesus and we don't need anybody else. Well, I'm going to get to the point where I don't need anybody else. All I need is my prayer closet. I don't need anybody else. All I need is my Bible time. And it's just not true. If we're not careful, we as Christians can think that we can get so close to God that we don't need his other kids. And that is not true. It has never been true. And it never, ever will be true. It will never be true of Christians. We cannot be Christians and be isolated. In fact, Genesis chapter 2, this verse, I mean, is so powerful to me. It's so, it just sticks with me. The Lord God looks at Adam all alone in the garden, right? Everything's perfect in the world. God's just created the world. In Genesis chapter 1, everything's good. Everything's got that new car smell still, right? It's just beautiful and perfect. And there's this perfect garden with this perfect man in the middle of a perfect garden. But there's nobody else. And all through Genesis chapter 1, it said, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. You get to Genesis chapter 2, and the first thing ever in the Bible called not good was not sin. It wasn't the devil. It was this right here. It is not good for the man to be, somebody say it, perfect man, perfect prayer life, no sin, no faults. No failures. God looked at it and said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Jesus is all that we need for salvation. But to thrive as humans, to thrive as God's creation, to heal from the things that have happened to us and happened from us, to, to see all of the aspects of God's character, to see the diversity of God's nature and the diversity of everything that God is and the diversity of all of God's mercies and His power put on display in different circumstances and, and, and different you know, conditions of life, to find purpose and, and to find fulfillment as the children of God. You need other children of God in your life period. It is not good for you to be alone. And I don't think we meant to get here sometimes. I don't think that we meant for this to be the way that we feel. But somewhere along the line, we start measuring spiritual health and spiritual maturity by our private prayer time. 
We start measuring how spiritual we are by how many chapters of the Bible we read or how many verses that we memorize on our own by our private consecrations or how often I attend church. And this becomes the metrics of how close that we are to God. But Jesus said that the way that people will know that we are his followers is by what? The love that we have for others. Well, you can't love others if you are by yourself. And there are a lot of reasons that we kind of get to this place in our spirituality and get to this place in our walk with God and a lot of reasons that we might actually find, you know, why we might find it hard to admit our need for others. But there are a couple of, of reasons that we kind of find it hard to admit that we need other people. And that's what I want to talk about today. Over these next three hours, we're going to go through these other two reasons. Just kidding. It's good. But first of all, it is hard to admit that I need others when I feel that others don't understand me. Oh, come on. Anybody ever feel misunderstood in the room? Don't lie in church. Raise your hand. Wow. Some of y'all, you've never felt misunderstood. Come talk to me after service. I'll help you out. I'll help you out. But the older that we get, the more we learn about ourselves. And the tragic thing, especially in our modern-day society, is that the more we learn about ourselves, the more we tend to isolate ourselves. When I look at, like, the preschool that we have here at City Grace during the week, it's amazing to me that preschoolers, when it comes time to find a friend or a play partner, they don't even care if you're a boy or a girl. They just want to play, right? Doesn't matter. You're boy or girl. Doesn't matter. You can be my best friend, right? And then if you're a boy, you find out that the girls have cooties. And what happens? Your friend pool just got cut in half. And then you get to high school, and you find out it's about socioeconomic differences and backgrounds, right? And you got the, you know, jocks versus the nerds and all that kind of stuff and all of that going on. And that kind of shrinks your, your friend pool even more. And then you get into young adulthood, and we find out about different personalities, and introverts isolate, and extroverts think that introverts are boring, right? And then social media tells you that you're either a Republican or a Democrat. And if you're a Republican, you can't like Democrats. And if you're a Democrat, you can't like Republicans, right? And then prejudice is trying to creep back in. And nowadays there's the Me Too movement and, and toxic masculinity trying to pit you know, people against all men and, and, you know, black lives matter and blue lives matter and we belong to one or other of those things and, and just all of these divisions going on to pull us apart from other people and to progressively and increasingly shrink our pool of friends and other people that we can belong to. And every time that we label somebody as one thing and label ourselves as opposite of that thing, we shrink the number of people that we can connect with. And I get what we're doing. Like we're trying to figure out who we are, right? We're just trying to kind of find our tribe, kind of trying to find our people. And so we try and discover ourselves so that we know which identity tribe we're supposed to plug into. But in my efforts to discover me, sometimes we can lose the beauty of we, of everything that happens when we come together and community. And we, we just want to kind of, you know, follow only certain people on social media that just kind of reinforce our worldview. We only want to follow certain people and hear certain voices because we only want to think about things the way that we think about things, right? And in seeing my way as the only way, I've lost the prism of diversity and I can't see anymore how life can be split into different color and texture and all of that color and texture can make life so very beautiful and varied and everything just becomes black and white based on who I am. And if you're not like I am, then we are disconnected. And there's no 
commonality between us, right? And, and it's hard to admit as Christians in this kind of post-Christian America and this so divided and, and, and just polarized America, it is hard for us to admit that we need anybody. We don't like to admit that we need anybody's viewpoint. We don't like to admit that we need anybody's input, anybody else's words, anybody else's thoughts, anybody else's prayers. Hello, somebody. You haven't put a prayer request in for how long? You haven't shown up at Friday night prayer for how long? You've gone to small groups for how long and never asked anybody to pray for? Why? Because we don't need anybody else. I got this. I can handle this. It's my own private prayer life that makes all of the difference. But if it's all of our many differences that, have co- that are coming between us, then maybe we have forgotten the beauty that it comes from being united by the blood of Jesus Christ. We were never meant to all be the same in Jesus, but all of us were meant to be brought together underneath the unifying blood of Calvary. And it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter who you were. God has made us one in Christ Jesus. And the early church, we've been studying this on Wednesday nights, uh, the early church just faced this like to levels that we're not even close to being at in America. They were so divided, so split from one another by race, by diversity, by religion, by economic status, by slave versus three, all of these things. And, and a church in a city called Galatia was actually one of the, or in a, in a territory called Galatia, was actually one of the early places that was just facing this. And they didn't know how to integrate. And the rich believers and the poor believers were having a hard time coming together. And the Jewish ones and, and the non-Jewish ones, they just couldn't seem to come together. And, and even the male and the female, there was just so much pull and div- division between them. And Paul writes to them in Galatians chapter 3, and he has to remind them of this, that there is neither Jew nor Gentile anymore. Hello, City Grace. They're like, well, of course, because <laughs> we're all Gentiles. Can I hear an amen for all the Gentiles? And okay, yeah. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Paul is reminding those Christians, and I want to remind us today, that a new thing has happened in Jesus. That each and every one of us, it does not matter our race. It does not matter our background. It does not matter our gender, our social status, our office, or our pedigree. We have all been made one. Now listen to me. We're not all one in our opinions. We're not all one in our experiences. We are not even all one in our expressions, but we are all one in Christ Jesus in the way that God has rescued us from who we were, found us where we were, lost and broken and hurting, coming from all kinds of backgrounds and circumstances, yet the common thing through all of it is that the mercy of God is without limits, and the mercy and the love and the grace of God is out without respecter of persons. And it doesn't matter how old you are, how rich you are, how poor you are, how white you are, how black you are, how Democrat you are, how Republican you are. It does not matter to God. You are loved. You are treasured. You are valued. You are the apple of his eye. And we are one. We're one in Christ Jesus. We're one. Y'all ready to test this out? Y'all ready to, like, y'all ready to do this? Who voted for Trump? No, don't, don't say. Just kidding. Like, let's not even go there. Okay, we won't, we won't go that far. God's still got some work to do. So tell somebody close to you, he's still working on me. Hello. 
We're supposed to be one in Christ Jesus. Different opinions, different experiences, different statuses, different levels of income, different challenges to life. All of these things so varied and so different, but we have been made one by the blood of Jesus Christ. And surely, surely, surely in this world that is so broken and so fragmented, surely spirit-filled Democrats and Republicans can embrace and love each other in Jesus' name. Surely introverts and extroverts can share a meal in Jesus' name. Surely at City Grace, surely black people and white people can love each other and give themselves for one another in Jesus' name. Hello. Surely the church of the living God, the one who gave his life for us all, surely his church can come together and show this world his love in action and his mercy on display through each and every one of us as we lay down our prejudices, as we lay down our past hurts, as we heal from our scars and the wounds and move forward into community with each other, proving, proving the presence of the Holy Spirit within his church in this modern time. Surely. Surely, that can happen. Hello. It might be an old white lady saint who teaches you how to pray. Hello. Well, nobody's amening on that one. It might be a 20-something-year-old tatted-up believer that shows you the reach of God's love. It might be a handshake with a redneck that teaches you the grace of God. Can I hear an Amen. <laughs> Do we even have any rednecks here? I don't know. Anybody self-proclaimed redneck? Like, will you love y'all? No? Nobody's a redneck? I'm like half redneck. I'm a half breed. I just want y'all to know that. My dad's Mexican. My mom's a honky. That's who I am. <laughs> Hello. West Texas. It's nasty out there. God save the people in West Texas. It might be a conversation with a black brother, a black sister that teaches you compassion. It might be a Bible study, buying a cup of coffee for a believer that's over the age of 60 that teaches you how to study your Bible. Hello. Maybe you need to go grocery shopping with a single mom or single dad believer in this church to show you gratitude and how to trust in God's provision. Hello. We are so very different. We are so different. I know most of the stories in this room. We are so, so different, but we have been made one by the incredible love of our creator, God. Calvary is enough. It is finished. The brokenness is over. Sinful hate is over. Prejudice has been condemned. His sacrifice has ended all of the hate and the violence between us. And we have been saved individually to be placed collectively into his body, the church. We need each other. We need each other. Now look, here's a second reason that we find community hard to embrace. And I'll go quick because I know that I'm almost out of time. And I'm going to use a word that was probably, probably going to sound very offensive from the pulpit. And it's the word dummy. I've thought, yeah, I know, ooh, yeah. And I've thought of some others, but I wasn't comfortable using them over the pulpit so you can just use your imagination and then repent as we go along. But Anybody ever call tech support and get transferred five times and explain your issue five different times? And by the time you get to the sixth person, they try and place you on hold one more time. And when they do, they accidentally hang up on you. What are you thinking in that moment? 
dummy. Dummy, Junior. That's all you're allowed to say. Dummy. Anybody ever sit at a red light behind a car in front of you, and you see their head not like this, you see their head like this, and then the light turns green, and they sit there, right, because they are on their phone. What do you say in that moment? Dummy is the answer. Come on, catch on, people. Here we are. Everybody say it one time together. <laughs> I'm strong. <laughs> Stronger than any amen so far. What about when your neighbor puts his noisy dog outside your bedroom window at 6.15 in the morning and doesn't bring them back in, and the dog starts barking and barking and barking and scratching at the door. What do you say? Yeah, you know you do. What about that meeting at work? Three hours of bad ideas with people that you barely can stand to be with throughout the day. Hello. Three hours of bad ideas, and at the end of that meeting, the manager says, well, we still haven't come to a conclusion, so let's table this till next week. And you walk out of the meeting, having accomplished nothing. What do you say? (laughs) Altar call. (laughs) Musicians, come What about when your friend on social media is about to not be your friend on social media? Post that political cartoon, that insult, and demeans your values and mischaracterizes your views, you say, or you type? Dummy, but you don't hit sin on that one, right? Because that's like permanent record. You got to make sure you backspace over it. Everyone around us is a dummy. We're smart. Why can't everybody be as smart as I is, right? And you don't even want dummies speaking into your life. Hello, somebody that knows some dummies. And so when you're hurting and when you're depressed and you need something and you need somebody, you don't want to talk to a dummy because you don't want a dummy tripping all over your genius. Hello. And we see other people around and not look, not everybody, but we see so many people around us as less smart than us, less in tune than us. Less getting it than us, right? All of these things going on. And when I see others as less than me, it kills my desire to belong to we. Anybody ever gone to sports or some other kind of team that's been going on, and there was a team that was picking people, and when it came time for them to pick people and your name was still available, you were hoping they did not pick you? No? (laughs) Everybody's like, no, I was always the last one picked. I just anybody... Hello, anybody just not want to belong to a certain group, not want to belong to a certain team because you don't want to be associated with that person or with that group. When I see, oh, this didn't change. Did this change? There, look at that. Seeing others is less than me kills my desire to belong to we. I don't want to belong to that group. I don't want to be part of what they got going on. I don't want them having input into my life. I don't want them knowing what's going on in my life. So I'm just going to avoid them. I'm going to stay away from them, right? We feel that way sometimes. And especially, especially when life gets hard and we're going through something, we think nobody else knows what I'm going through. So why would I want to join myself to them and let them know what's going on? If anyone had a right to look down on other people, it's the one who is above all. Hello. If anyone had the right to look at the people around him and say, what a bunch of dummies, it was Jesus And Jesus, the Bible tells us, was tempted in every point, like as we are, right? So you know there were some moments when Jesus wanted to look at his disciples and say, dummy. Think about this one time. Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, gets beheaded. Like, it's gone. It's over. His cousin has died. 
And Jesus kind of withdraws to this place to try and be by himself. But somebody tells where Jesus is. And where Jesus is, all the crowds come to where he is. They pursue him. They find him. And when they get there, they want something from him. His cousin has just died, and they want to know where the miracle worker is, and can you heal us and give to us and entertain us and help us? They won't even let him grieve. Talk about zero emotional intelligence. And Jesus stands up in front of the crowd, and he spreads his arms very theatrically and has his robe draped there, and he says, you dumb? No, he didn't say that to them. Look what Jesus actually says. Look what Jesus actually does. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. And then he didn't just stop there. He did what? Healed. They're sick. He healed. They're sick. People were coming to them in this, him in this time of need when he just needs to, to be alone and, and to grieve and to find comfort, and to find solace, and to find a time with the Father to pray. It's the same setting a little bit later on. The disciples, they don't protect Jesus. Instead, they come to him after the crowd's here, and now Jesus is healing. His cousin's death is still on his mind. He's still sorrowing. He's still grieving, still wanting to cry about it. And the disciples come to him in that moment and say, Jesus, guess what? All of these people are hungry. And Jesus looks at them like, dummies, you fix it. And they say, we can't fix it. All we found is this one little small lunch, and Jesus takes a small lunch, and he multiplies it and hands it out, and he feeds everyone that's around him. One chapter later, it's the same exact problem, just slightly smaller crowd, right? And, and this time, it's Jesus that brings up the problem. There's a crowd around him. Next day, still, Jesus hasn't had time to grieve. Still, Jesus is wanting time alone. Another crowd, these same disciples, they come to him. And Jesus says, you got to feed them. And disciples say, well, we can't feed them. Yesterday we had five loaves and two fishes. All we got today is seven loaves. And Jesus is like, do the math. It's a smaller crowd. We're better off today equipped to handle this than we were yesterday. You guys, what is going on? And he helps them out again. And he gives. And he feeds the crowd again. And after that, he's, he casts a demon out of a young boy. After that, he takes his disciples up and shows them an incredible vision with Moses and Elijah. And after all of this time, his disciples respond, not by helping Jesus, by giving him space, by comforting Jesus, by giving him words of encouragement or saying anything nice to him. After this, the disciples come to Jesus again and say, listen, we want you to make us vice president or make me vice president. We want you to make my brother here the vice vice president president when you come into your kingdom, when your movement starts and kicks off. Still all about what they can get from Jesus, what they're taking from Jesus time and time again. In fact, James and John are such cowards that they won't even ask him themselves for those positions. They get their mama, they got their mama to come and ask Jesus, hey, can you make my boys second and third in command of your kingdom? And Jesus has got to be like shaking his head. Like after all that's been going on, after all that I've done for you, after my cousin dying, you guys are the ones that are going to change the world? You're the ones that are going to be in charge of the movement when I'm gone? He takes them to the Last Supper. It's their last night together as this little crew, right? And that night, they have the same fight again. Who's going to be second place? Who's going to be third place in your kingdom? And Jesus doesn't call them dummies again. Instead, Jesus gives them 
a life lesson, and he, he strips down to the uniform of a servant, and he comes, and beautifully, he washes their feet, and he tells them, if this is how I have been for you, so you must be like this for everybody else around you. And even still after that, Judas betrays Jesus. Peter fails Jesus. Thomas doubts even after he sees or until he sees a risen Jesus. And time and time again, we're shown the faults of Jesus' friends. But Jesus stayed with them. Jesus never left them. Jesus never insulted them. He sees no one as not worthy of his time or his attention or his compassion or his love or his power. Can I hear an amen from somebody who's been a dummy to God one time or another in our life? Still, he sees nobody as worthless. Still, he trusts them. Still, he leads them. Still, he teaches them. Still, he empowers them. Still, he gives them and feeds them as if he enjoyed being with them. And community, But sometimes we're so quick, we're so quick to withdraw and isolate ourselves, to try and live this Christian life on our own. And the thing is that Jesus could have done it all alone, but he didn't. And we can't make it on our own, but we keep trying to. And Jesus doesn't just stay in community with them. He empowers them and builds them up and sends them out to multiply his work. And they end up changing the world. But why is he still with them? Why is he still patient? Why does he refuse to find better followers? He's showing us you don't need perfect people around you to be in community. Sometimes you're with a dummy, and sometimes you are the dummy. Hello, somebody. I've made people wait at stoplights. Ask our leadership team here at City Grace, have I ever wasted time at a meeting? You guys are all fired. Everybody that said yes, right? I'm the dummy sometimes. Hello. I've hurt other people. I've hurt Chelsea's feelings. She's the nicest person in the world. I've yelled at my kids in public and embarrassed them. I had not one but two tapes of gangster rap that my parents had to make me smash. Sometimes you're with the dummy, and sometimes you are the dummy. Hello. But we still need each other. We still need love from each other. I need your grace. I need your compassion. I need your arm. I need your prayers. I need your encouragement. I need your strength. I need you to walk with me and talk with me. I need you to be there for me. And I promise that I'll do the same thing for you. I'll pray for you. I'll encourage you. I'll lift you up. I'll walk with you. I'll hold your hand. I'll do everything that I can. Why? Because Jesus has shown the church that there is a better way to exist and it is not alone and it is not isolated. It is not good for you to be alone. God has created us together and we are one in Christ Jesus. Community is valuable not because it makes us the same but because it brings us together. Community, this is so powerful, is valuable because it brings us together, not because it makes us the same. You'll never be the same as me. You'll never feel things the way that I feel them. You'll never see things the way that I see them. But that's okay because we can still be together. We can still be one and still be united in Christ Jesus. If the musicians could come, the musicians could come this morning and give everybody hope in this place. And for each of our failures, and so many different failures in our lives, hello, anybody want to be honest in church today? For all of our failures and all of our backgrounds, the different arenas and aspects of life that 
We've hurt the people around us and rejected God. For each of our failures, we have found mercy. For all of our weaknesses, for all of our stumbling and all of our falling, we have each found a different aspect of God's grace. And I need to hear your story of mercy. You need to hear my story of God's grace. This is why we have been brought together. This is why we have been made one in Christ Jesus. Can we all stand this morning? And Jesus found community with those who weren't worthy of his company with the disciples. And 2,000 years later, I think in this room, a story after story and testimony after testimony that still today, Jesus finds community. And Jesus finds togetherness. And Jesus finds closeness. And Jesus finds friendship and companionship with us who are so, so unworthy of his company. And yet he still empowers us. He still loves us. He still gives to us cares for us. He shared his darkest moment with men who fell asleep when he needed them the most. But he loved them still. He gave to them still. And it leaves us with a question that we have to answer, that if Jesus found that life and mission were better together, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? If that's the way Jesus saw it, shouldn't we? And I think it's important for us to see that God created, or when God created the world and created people, he created a lot of us. And then he gave us the power to create more, and his command was to be fruitful and multiply. This was never supposed to be a solitary thing. You were not designed for isolation. For sure, some of us need more or less people around than others, but none of us were designed to walk alone. In fact, heaven is filled with angels. Heaven is filled with saints. We are helped and encouraged by messengers and messages, multiple, many times over, messengers and messages. And God, God who fills all of space, and God who fills all of time, has designed His grace to flow through you to me. God has designed His grace to flow through me to you. We need each other. City Grace, we need each other. City Grace, we can't make it on our own. We'll never be what God has designed us to be on our own. And so it's time today to kick off of Small, small groups for the fall semester, it's time to make that commitment to God and His plan again. But not a, not a direct vertical commitment of private prayer to God. Not today asking you to make a, a private commitment of a vertical devotion and more prayer time, just you and God one-on-one. But today, today it's time for us to recommit to His design, His plan for His church. Today is the day, City Grace, when we commit to God's design and God's plan for this body. Today, is the day that you decide, that you choose, that you're going to join a small group, that you're going to be a part of everything that God has designed for us to live in community with each other. Today, we're going to sing a song in just a moment. And today, today you, I'm telling you this, I never pressure anybody hardly, today you are going to say to God, I will be part of this community. Today, you are going to say to God in a time of prayer in just a moment, I will sacrifice and give and embrace and love my brother's and sisters, because that's what you have done for me. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.